Well, good morning. It is so good to be here this morning as usual. And uh, we're going to continue in the series, Stan. Um, how many of you guys have been enjoying the series, Stan? Amen. How many have been helping you? Amen. Amen. So we just want to dive right in and get started. Father, we thank you that the word of God can be made alive in our heart. We stand in your grace. Today, everything that has been done has been done for your glory. Now, Father, exalt your word that hearts will be changed. Lives will be changed. Destinies will be forged. We thank you for the power of your word. We thank you for the power of your name. For there is no name given under heaven whereby men must be saved, might be saved. And that's the name of Jesus. And it is the name of Jesus that causes every demonic force to tremble. It is the name of Jesus that stops the enemy in its track against those who have been bought by the blood of the Lamb. It is the name of Jesus by which we stand firm in the truth of your word. Today, I submit myself to your word, to the Holy Spirit's power, and to speak under your anointing. Father, we thank you and we love you. Let all the redeemed the Lord say amen, amen. and amen. Give the Lord a hand praise for his work and his word. There's something I want to read to you before we get into the message today uh, in our assignment. Uh, this was written by a man by the name of Ken Hughes, and he has a, a commentary on the book of Ephesians. And when I read that in my time of study, it's sort of just not that I didn't understand the reality, but it set in motion the understanding of the reality of just how serious this cosmic battle is. And sometimes we take messages like we see in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 and toward the end, we talk, sort of take it lightly. But I want to read this to you very quickly before we get into the message. And it says this. This force of evil is characterized by unparalleled wickedness. The writer Ken Hughes has said it is best in two sentences from his book on Ephesians. Satan has no conscience. He has no compassion. He has no remorse. And he has no morals. He feeds on pain, anguish, and filth. Few villains in Hollywood adequately portray the depths of this pure evil that exists within Satan himself and his demonic mob that follows him. Frankly, human beings can't fully relate to the total wickedness that motivates the devil. It seems like every bad guy in literature, television, or film has some kind of potential for redemption. A limit to his or her wickedness. Or at least a resemble or a reasonable explanation for his or her evil behavior that can almost prompt pity. Yet, when it comes to Satan, there is no possibility of redemption. No limit to his evil except what has been placed on him by God's sovereignty. And no rationale to explain or what motivates him to operate in such pure evil. Now, if that don't get your attention to the seriousness of our enemy, I don't know what will. 
But here is what I want us to understand. And I want to go back and read from the text and then pick up where we left off. And I want you to go with me to Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 through 15. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. But against rulers and against authorities, against the cosmic powers over the present darkness. Against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand firm. Stand therefore having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and stand as shoes for your feet and as shoes for your feet. Having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. I want to go back up. There are some words I want to sort of jumpstart in this message today that's going to tie into where I want to be at. And let's go back to verse 10 when it says, finally, be strong. There is, that's an imperative directive. God doesn't ask us to be strong. He commands us to be strong. The directive here is not to run, not to hide, not to tremble in fear, but to stand. He says, I want you to be strong. But he doesn't leave it there because he tells us to be strong, but he tells us where our strength comes from. He says, be strong in the Lord. Somebody say, in the Lord. Why does he say be strong in the Lord? Because he knows we are no match for the enemy of our soul apart from Jesus Christ. So he tells us to be strong in the Lord and then not only in the Lord, but also in the strength of his might. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Now, let's navigate further down. I want to take a look at verse 13 because there is something, two words I want to bring out. In verse 13, it says, verse 13, it says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. Somebody say evil day. Now, why would he tell us to stand firm? And then he brings out this evil day. There are many of you under the sound of my voice today that somehow throughout your life, life has a tendency to go well. Money's flowing. Health, you're doing well. The children are doing well. Your marriage is blowing and going. Everything's just going well. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, a crisis hits your finances. A crisis hits your physical body. A crisis in your marriage. A crisis in your children. And many people, when this crisis hit, will say stuff like, but I tell you what, this is not a good time for this to, go, to have happened to me. This is not a good opportunity. This is not a good time. The Bible describes this all of a sudden attack against you as an evil day. And he tells us that when this thing catches us on guard, he tells us to stand. So I want to pick up in the latter part of verse 15. And it says, as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. So today we're going to talk about the gospel of peace, and what is that the gospel of peace does for us in terms of our warfare. But when he talks about standing strong in the Lord and the power of his might, I want you to look at and draw our attention to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, 
verse 3 through 5, because it reveals to us once again how we're able to stand. And look at this. We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. For we use God's mighty weapons. I want you to read that with me. Verse 4. Ready? Read. And it says, we use God's mighty weapons, not worldly weapons. And here's what those weapons are capable of doing. It is able to knock down the stronghold, stronghold of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Do you hear? Look at the. It says, it is able to knock down strong, the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. Verse 5, we destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. God's weapons has the ability to whatever's holding your loved ones, whatever is chaining your loved ones and, and friends, keeping them from knowing God. God's weapons has the ability to destroy those chains that are holding them. And we need to understand that. And here's what we do. We capture their rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. Teach them to obey Christ. That evil day that we talked about. I want to bring out something to you because there was a time when Jesus had been baptized by John. And out of, coming out of the water, the Holy Spirit landed upon him in the form of a dove. God spoke to him. From the, from, the, from the sky and said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then it wasn't long that being filled with the Holy Spirit, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I want you to see this in reference to when we talk about the evil day. Luke chapter 4, verse 9, it says, And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down from here. Verse 10, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on your hands, on their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, the word answered him and said, you shall not put the Lord your God to test. And when the devil had ended every temptation. Now, I want you to see that. When the devil had ended his temptation. And here's the part I want you to see. He departed from him until an opportune time. He departed from him until an opportune time. You see, what we need to understand is that Ephesians 6 and 10 reveals to us there is a plan, a scheme, a thought-out method to what Satan does against us. And I'm not exalting Satan, but I want you to not underestimate what he does. Okay, because as a basketball coach, what guarantees me success is my ability to understand my opponents. And what guarantees our success is, number one, understanding who we are in Christ, first of all. (coughs) Excuse me. And then understand what God has said in his word concerning the enemy of our soul. So we don't want to underestimate him. And so we see here. That the enemy left Jesus for a season until an opportune time. Which means even though things might be going well in your life, there are times where the enemy is plotting and planning. But the word of God in verse 15 tells us that as for shoes for our feet, we must put on the readiness given by the gospel. Now, I have a picture 
of a pair of shoes that a Roman soldier would wear. And I want you to see this. Not your typical shoes you would buy at foot action. (laughs) But what is interesting about these shoes is that they're made of leather, and a Roman soldier would wear these particular shoes. But what was unique about the shoes was that on the bottom of these shoes, there were some that had the, what they called these hobnails that they put in the front of the shoe around the toe area. But then there were others that they actually placed on the entire sole of the shoe. And there were five things that this, this design was able to do for, a Roman, for the Roman soldier who would travel long distance in hand-to-hand combat. Number one... The design of the shoe and the studs at the bottom of the shoe provided and was ideal for hand-to-hand combat. The Bible says, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we see the conflict. And we see the, the conflict there. The second thing that this shoe was able to do, it provided for traction. You and I both know it's sort of like the cleats <coughs> in a, for a football player or cleats for baseball. That when you have these type of studying on your shoes, it provides great traction for you in terms of the combat and offensive line and defensive line. It also functions where this shoe is, allows the soldier to travel in any type of terrain. Fourth, it, this, this design of this shoe allows this, so, this soldier to travel in any type of climate. The design of the shoe also allows the soldier to travel long distance to get to where the battle was going to be fought. And so Paul, who's chained to these soldiers, who's under house arrest, under the Spirit of God, begins to write this, about this cosmic battle between the enemy of our soul and us. And so as he's looking at these soldiers, he begins to notice the shoes. And he begins to write for us in verse 15, as for shoes for your feet having put on the readiness of the gospel of peace. Now, you ask yourself, why would Paul, in the middle of this this cosmic battle he's revealing, why would Paul bring up the issue of peace right in the middle of spiritual warfare? Because he wants us to understand that peace, the peace that we have in Christ, is just as important as all the other armory. Let's take a look at it. If we're going to be successful in God, but I'm going to do this. Um, I've got two guys uh, that want to demonstrate something. I think uh, TJ and Tim, I want you guys come here for a second. And TJ, I apologize, man, that, you know, it's not good always being related to a person on staff because you can't say no to them. So I sincerely apologize. And even when he called you, there was something like, well, should I just say no? Because, you know, but anyway. So here's what we want to do. I want this young man to stand right here, if you will. Okay, if you can back up a little bit. Now, if you notice, I want you to look and see what's available on, ten, on uh, TJ's feet. He's got cleats. Okay, I don't know if you, did you play football in high school? Yes. You did. What position did you play? Quarterback. Quarterback. What high school did you play? Central. Ooh, Central LaFouche quarterback. Okay, man. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? Okay, you played football in high school? Did. What position you played? Oh, ha, ha. <laughs> Linebacker. What is the main objective of a linebacker? Hit him in the face. Hit him as often as you can get to him, right? No, you can't hit him in the face. In the 80s, 90s. Oh, in the 90s you could. Come on, man. Get with the program. Okay? So what you say your objective was to be on the attack as a defensive lineman, okay? And you relied on your offensive line to protect you. Did it always go well? No, it didn't. Okay, sometimes you got hit from the blind side, right? 
Okay, all right. They just didn't understand. So here's what we want to do, all right? I want to demonstrate to you um, the feet, the, the shoes that TJ has on is for one purpose, and that's for his footing. Now, being as that you're a linebacker, you fully understand what I'm wanting you to do, okay? So on a count of three, I want you to attack him and move him off his spot, okay? All right, here we go. Now, now I, just understand something. You know, I'm not the pastor, so please, I don't want this toe up. I don't want this. I, I, not on my watch, okay? On the count of three. One, two, three. Move him off his spot. Move him off his spot. Move him off his. Oh, ho, 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 ho. Okay, okay. Now, dude, you a lineman, right? You a. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Okay? Now, what I want you to do, you, you hold firm to your spot. I want you to move him off that spot. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, three. All right, oh, okay. Let's give him a hand. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You stay. You can leave. You stay. I'll leave. <laughs> you can leave. <laughs> Interesting. How, um, Tim, how much do you weigh? Okay. Wow. Don't ever use him in any biblical illustrations ever again. You're faulted, brother. How much do you weigh, uh, TJ? 210. 210. I'm quite sure he weighs a little bit more than that. <laughs> Upon appearance, we would think because of the size of that man, he would be able to move this guy. Okay? But there was an advantage that he had on his feet. It was what he had on his feet that allowed him under attack to not be moved from his position. The Bible tells us in this series called Stand, he says, for your feet... I want you to shod your feet or, or wrap around your feet the readiness of the gospel of peace. Thank you, TJ. Thank you so much. Okay. Thank you. So, so what is the gospel of peace? We need to understand that our footing against Satan in this battle, number one, here's the first one, is that we, it is our peace with God that comes through Jesus Christ. It is our peace with God through Jesus Christ that becomes a footing, if you will, against the enemy. So what is this peace? You see, the world, those who don't know Jesus Christ don't have the peace that we have. There was not only an uncertainty about tomorrow, but there's an uncertainty about death. For those who sit outside the realm of the understanding of what Christ has done, they conclude ideologies and ideas as if to say because of the uncertainty of death, then I conclude that my life is, this is all there is to life. And when I die, they're going to stick me in the ground and that's, that's it. Why do they say that? Because, the, because they, it's difficult for them to, to grasp the idea that there might be another life somewhere that may not be very good if they choose to live a life apart from truth of God's word. But that's not so for the believer because the enemy from time to time, all of us will make mistakes and he will plant thoughts in our minds and try to attack us with our peace with God, our security in God. I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 14. Our footing against Satan in this battle is our peace with God through Christ. It says, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope 
without God in this world. But now, somebody say, but now. Now, Paul is, re, is, is giving this, this, this message to believers. He said, this is who you were. You had no hope. You were alienated from the covenant promise of God. You were without God. You were strangers. He says, but now, in Jesus Christ, you were once afar off, but have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. By the blood of Christ, you've been brought near. For he himself is our peace. For he himself is our peace. Say it with me. For he himself, (coughs) who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Why has that become a necessity for Christ to to become our peace? Because when Adam sinned before God, sin came into the bloodstream of all humanity. And every person born is born with a bent towards sin and away from God. And so what the average person don't realize apart from God is that we're enemies of God and we are, we're not at peace with him. And so therefore we're at war with God because of our sin. And Paul reveals to us that now that we are saved, when the enemy comes in and tries to make accusations against us in our times of weaknesses, we can stand firm like TJ with, those, with our feet solely planted, planted in the peace of God that we are now brought near to God because of what Jesus Christ did for us. So when we die, we don't die without hope. We die knowing that because of what Christ has done, we're promised eternal life. Not, eternal, not only eternal life in the world to come, but he said, I give you peace now. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have been made right in God. Somebody say made right. In God's sight, how? By faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. I want you to see the picture here. He says, Jesus Christ has literally become our peace so that we can stand in Christ in that peace. That's why he tells us back in Ephesians chapter 6, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. He becomes your strength. He becomes your peace. So that when the enemy comes in an evil day, you can stand. Why? Because now your feet is firmly wrapped around the peace of the gospel. And that gives us the peace that's found in Christ. Because we know that there is no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 1 verse 20 and 23 gives us another picture of what Christ has done for us. And through him, God reconciled. Reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything, both in heaven and in earth, by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were, here we we go again, once afar away, far off or far away from God. And he describes you were enemies. You were his enemies, separated from him. How did he se- How were we separated? By your evil thoughts and our evil actions. Yet now he has reconciled or brought together you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. And this is the beauty. As a result. Someone say as a result. Because of what he did, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy 
and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Do you hear what, I, what the scripture just revealed? He says, you're not standing before him in and of yourself without fault. He says, it, when, when Christ, when God sees you, because we are blood-bought, he sees you through the lens of his son. And because his son is perfect, he sees you through the lens of his perfect son. Because we stand in the place of Christ. We stand with Christ. Wow, as a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must. Now, here is the imperative. Here we go. Here we go. But you must continue to believe this truth. But you must continue to believe this truth. And then do what? Stand firmly what? In it. That's what the gospel is. It is the ability for me to understand what Christ has done for me and not only to what he's done for me to understand it, but to stand in it, to stand firm in it. Why does he stand firmly in it? Because there are going to be times when the enemy on the evil day will try to knock you off your position. Wow. And he says, Not only to stand firmly in this truth, he said, don't drift away from the what? Assurance that you and I receive when we heard the good news. There was an assurance that comes when we hear the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world. And I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to what? Proclaim it. To proclaim it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 and 23 also says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us, who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, here it is again, when he raised him from the dead, that's the gospel, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age but also in the one to come, And watch this. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. What are we saying? Here's what he's saying to us from point one about our peace. You and I who are born again, we have the assurance as born again believers in Jesus Christ that we are God's children. And Satan cannot snatch us out of God's hands. So many people don't know that. So many people live their lives vicariously through religion. Doing things. Doing stuff. Trying to be right by going to church. uh, Reading your Bible. Or doing good things. And all those things are good in and of itself. But it doesn't save us. And so many people go to church. And you would never believe. That there are people in, in, this, in our nation with all of the information in the Bibles and everything that is available to us. But there are people that don't know the essence of the gospel. Have not come to the reality of what Jesus Christ has done. And they attend churches every Sunday but totally oblivious to what Jesus Christ has really done for them. And then you have those who come and know it but don't stand in it. You see, I'm a firm believer that whatever you understand, you stand under it. 
Whatever you understand, you stand under it. Why? Because it becomes a protection for you. It is senseless to walk out there in the rain with an umbrella in your hand or under your arm and leave it there. See, because of your understanding of the design of the umbrella, what do you do when it's raining? You open it up and you watch, stand under it. So whatever I understand about who Christ is, I have the ability not only to stand under it, but to stand in it. Amen. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 6 says this. What, now I would remind you, brothers, that of the gospel I preached to you, which you receive, in which, here we go, you what? You what? And by which you are being what? If you what? Hold fast. There it is. Keyword, hold fast to the word I preach you, unless you believe in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ, here it is, here's the gospel, Christ died for our sins in accordance to what? With Scripture. That he was buried, that's the gospel. That he was raised on the third day, the gospel, according to what? Scripture. And that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then appeared to over 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, through some have fallen asleep. So what is Paul telling us? He's saying to us the focus of the gospel is to understand what Christ has done for us and to stand in. And he tells us don't move from that truth. Stand firmly in that truth. Because in the evil day, it will provide footing when we're under temptation and when we're facing the fires, trials of the enemy. Our second footing against Satan in this battle is not only do we have peace with God through Christ, But we also, it is our peace in Christ that we have with each other. The peace that we have with each other. You know, when I look look through history, and I love history, I see how nations and empires have tried to broker peace and foster peace among each other. And they're they're broken. I've seen where vows have been made and have been broken. I've seen business contracts violated. Why is that? Because we're fallen. It, while we have made incredible strides in race relation, and we have, but you realize that you cannot legislate love. We tried it. This is our best effort right here. Apart from Jesus Christ, no piece of legislation can do what the blood of Jesus Christ is able to do. So what has, what, is, what has become our footing? What has the gospel done? It has created a peace, <coughs> not only through, with God through Christ, but we have peace with each other. And I want you to see this once again in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 through 16. Let's go back to it. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once afar off and have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. For he himself is our peace who has made, here it it is, us both what? So in Christ, two people, two groups, here he's making reference to the Gentiles and to the Jews. For those of you know this or may not know it, the Jews and the Gentiles were bitter enemies. They were just absolutely, they just did not like each other. And only through the gospel of Jesus Christ were you able to bring these two groups of people and set them down to worship. 
Because I can only imagine outside of Christ, can you imagine trying to bring two groups of people who are enemies and sit them down in a room? Good luck with that. But Paul reveals to us, and this is, this is, this is powerful. Paul reveals to us, he says, verse 14, for he himself is our peace who has made us Jews and Gentiles both one. And he's broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. The very thing that caused hostility in Jesus' flesh. He said, I broke this down. I've abolished it by abolishing the law and the commandments expressed in the ordinance that he might create. Now, why did he do this? Here was his purpose. That he might create in himself one new man and place of two. Making peace. That's what the gospel does. And might reconcile both, reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Wow. Did you see what the gospel did? Christ said, in my flesh, I'm going to destroy the thing that's destroying the two of you. So that the two of you, the focus will not be on who you are or who you are, but who we are in Christ. That has to be the focus. The world has to pass by and window shop the church and look in and says, guys, what we see is the way it should be among people of different races, among people of different economic status. This is what it should look like in the church because we have a common enemy, Satan, but we have a common goal, and that is to, to, to preach Christ. The emphasis is not the difference. The emphasis is the common. The common here is Christ and his redemption. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He killed the hostility. John chapter 10, verse 16, Jesus brings to light to the disciples and he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now watch this. This is verse 16. I love this. And I have another sheep that are not of this fold. (laughs) I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there, so there will be one flock and one shepherd. So what do we have? The gospel allows us to not only have peace with God, but allows us to have peace among each other. So what does this peace look like? We can talk about this oneness, this unity, but what actually does it look like? Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 through 5, as we move on, it shows us what this godly unity look like, what the gospel of peace has done for people like me and like you and and, and all over the world. So there is, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being, Jesus said, complete my joy by being what? The same mind, having what? The same love, Being full accord and what? One mind. Doing nothing from selfish ambition. I believe selfish ambition is is what the enemy uses to divide us. Both in as well as outside the church. But he tells us don't do anything from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. That's what it looks like. Verse 4 tells us to continue. Let 
each of us look not only on our own interests, but also to the interests of others. And he said, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. Where? Where? There it is. So what does the church do? When we put on our shoes, the gospel of peace, we become a demonstration to the world. This is what you're struggling with, but this is how Christ wanted to to, to look. You struggle with it here, but this is the way it's supposed to be here. Satan's main objective is to keep men and women in sin and from making peace with God through Jesus Christ. That's what he wants to do. And we have an objective. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, knowing that, it says, because you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one, with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. There may be some of you sitting in this very building today that have never had the opportunity to confess Jesus Christ as your Lord. And because you haven't done that, here's the position you stand in. Your life is now on slippery slopes. You have no peace about tomorrow. You have no peace about where you will go when you die. You're under attack. People, there are people that may take pills to go to bed, pills to get up. You have no peace about the end result of your life. And that is the result when you don't know Jesus Christ. So when the service is over, I want to give you an opportunity to find the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ. And I'm going to give you an opportunity to come to him this morning. Satan's main objective is to keep men and women in sin and keep them from making peace with Jesus Christ. With God through Christ. Third and finally, our footing against Satan in this battle is, the Bible says, our readiness to share the gospel of peace with the lost world. The word ready means the opportunity. Every morning I get up, I pray this simple prayer. Lord, give me a God moment. Give me the opportunity to recognize when you have opened the door for me to share people, to share you with people. Every morning, I believe we need to get up out of our beds and be ready for every opportunity to share the gospel. Even when someone cuts you off in traffic. Bless God! Jesus loves you! Boy, if only, I'm Pastor Ben. He says this, When Satan and the evil day come, it's difficult to move you off your spot because you wake up every morning with a readiness to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1 through 5, here's what he says. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. Here he says, preach the word. Be ready in season And out of season. We read that again. He said, I charge you to preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Let me just stop right there. The word preach means to proclaim, to declare. You don't need to be on a behind a pulpit to declare God's word. Miss Pat, I saw the picture. It was an amazing journey y'all took. 
And I'm like, oh, man, they must have looked. Y'all had a great time. But I really believe because of the need that was there, you guys saw the need and you went. You were ready to go. And as a result of going, God blessed your efforts. And whoever you came in, they will never be the same. We saw the need in Africa for, for, for proper kingdom marriages. And so the need was there. And so when the need was there, we responded. And over seven years, we responded to the need with the gospel of Jesus Christ in the area of kingdom marriage. And we've seen the results, how God, through his kingdom teachings and through his power of the word, change a nation in the area of marriage. And now the opportunity that guys have to go to Mexico and bring the gospel of Jesus Christ and the message of kingdom marriages. That's that readiness The gospel, being ready to preach, he said, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming, and I believe that time is now. How many agree with me? I believe that time is now that people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myth. But he says, as for you, somebody say me. So Paul says, as for you, always be sober-minded. Always endure suffering. And he says to do the work of an evangelist. And he says, make full and fulfill your ministry. He says, at all times, you are to be in a state of readiness at all times. Romans 10, 13 to 15 says this. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's a promise. Would we agree? He said, those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But Paul reveals four hows to us in these passages of Scripture. And I want you to see this because this is where you and I come in. How, number one, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? Second, how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? The third how. How are they to hear without someone preaching? And the fourth how. How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, the gospel of peace. You see, when Paul now in the middle of this cosmic battle talks about this, this belt of truth and this breastplate of righteousness, and now he moves in the middle of this battle and talk about peace. Why does he do that? Because to you and I, he says, there is a readiness that comes with the gospel. And many of you find it very difficult to share the gospel with someone because you feel that you have nothing to offer. You feel, well, what if I say the wrong scripture, say the wrong words? I'm telling you now, all you need to do is put ready in your feet and run it in your feet, and Jesus is going to take care of the rest. Come on, somebody. He's going to take care of the rest. See, I've come to understand about God 
Jeremiah 29, 11, God knows the plan that he has for you. And it is his plans. And sometimes we get in his way is our own perception of ourselves. Sometimes we have a high opinion of ourselves. Oh, I can't do that. But Paul reminds us here that in the middle of this battle, you can do it because the gospel gives you peace. That you don't have to be troubled as you take your journey. As I close, I'm going to leave this statement with you. The armor that we put on are the characteristics and virtues that, uh, that are ours through union with Christ. To put on Christ means to recognize who we are in him and to live consistently with that identity, with the spiritual resources that are given to us through Jesus Christ. That becomes our footing when we're attacked. I want you to stand to your feet. With every head bowed and eye closed. Today's message was not to exalt Satan and his power, but today's message was to exalt Christ and what Christ has done for us and the peace we have with God, the peace we have in us, and the peace we have among each other. But we also today's message reveal that Satan has no morals. He has no compassion. He moves, he feeds off of filth and evil. He is pure, unadulterated evil. And his objective is to keep men and women, boys and girls, from reconciling and be, being at peace with God. There are those of you who are sitting here today have heard this word and maybe the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart And so today I want to give you that opportunity to come to God. There is no guarantee about tomorrow. And if today was the last day you faced, today was the last day on the planet, you get ready to face God at the end of this journey, could you face him with peace? Examine your heart now. Where are you with God? Father, I pray today, that your word will come alive in the hearts of your people. First of all, we thank you that Jesus has become our peace. We have peace with God. We have peace in the world. And we have peace with each other through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I pray that our feet will be ready to share the gospel, the good news, because it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. But there are those who may not know you today. I pray that the Holy Spirit's power and conviction will convict that heart. And Father, we thank you and we honor and we love you. And we bless you for what you have done today. In Jesus' name I pray. Before you dismiss, I would ask our prayer counselors to come down. And if you said, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today, I want to give you that opportunity to do that at this moment. To the rest of you, you are dismissed. May God go with you. Pray that God will give you God opportunities this week to share the gospel with someone that is lost. If you want that opportunity to get to know Jesus, won't you come? And they'll be waiting for you at this time. Won't you come?